0: You know something? Not only are we going to New Hampshire, Tom Harkin, we're going to South
1: Carolina and Oklahoma and Arizona and North Dakota and New Mexico! We're going to California and Texas and New York! And we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan! And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House! Welcome to Michael and Us. My name's Will Sloan, here as always with... Luke Savage, welcome back, guys. Both of us, you know, have day jobs outside of the podcast. Yeah, believe it or not. We don't talk about it a lot. Some may know that I've been working for the last two years in the Trump administration. (laughs) Uh, That may rub some of our listeners the wrong way. But listen, the economy being what it is, you take your work where you can get it.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's why I've been collecting a paycheck from uh, the daily costs and reporting on uh, the Trump administration and on behalf of the resistance. But Will and I have always believed in a politics of coming together and looking you know, focusing on the things that we have in common, not the things that divide us.
1: And, you know, speaking to that, I think what frustrates me so much is, yes, you can disagree with me working in like border security with Trump. But when I go out for dinner, just a call out to Michael and nation, please stop yelling at me. Please stop like barring me from entering. I put so much work every two weeks into this little left wing podcast that I think I should be allowed to have dinner in peace. Yeah, and I just
0: want to say as the resident uh, left wing member the podcast you know it really is a breach of decorum for fans to be interrupting will while he's trying to eat at applebee's in peace just leave him alone you know we can we can argue we can quibble about whether some people are human beings or not but this is unacceptable
1: my beautiful children abigail lawrence and clem ages nine six and two how do you expect me to explain this to them (laughs) how do you expect it to explain to my beautiful wife cynthia uh they don't even know what i do for a living (laughs) And, you know, furthermore, you know, I'm on Tinder every night because obviously, <laughs> listen, a guy like me, when I'm on Tinder and then they ask me, you know, what do I do for a living? And I say, you know, yeah, I work in border border security for the Trump administration. So often it ends there. And I think that's unfair. Yeah, come
0: on, people. These reports of Trump administration acolytes being driven off of dating apps by Michael and Us Nation, this won't stand. And as a co-host of Michael and Us, I'm asking you to stop right
1: now. Luke, I think you'll have to agree that in these difficult times, we really have to, like, cling on to whatever good news that we can. And I think, you know, in the last week, the small happiness has been watching these people getting, like, yelled out of restaurants. And there was that great political article about how Trump staffers are having trouble getting laid
0: <laughs> yeah and and I just saw today apparently Sarah Sanders was a Sarah Huckabee Sanders that is has to you have to qualify with the Huckabee because yes. every time I see it I'm like you're not good enough for the name Sanders okay <laughs> you know apparently she was asked to leave a restaurant by the proprietors and, and really that he, says more about the left I think <laughs> than it does her St- Stephen Miller had another I don't know if his was a Mexican restaurant I think it might have been a Mexican restaurant as well um, but uh, no and for some people that kind of behavior, like you've seen the footage of the uh, DC DSA chapter chasing the Secretary of Homeland Security
1: out of that restaurant. For some people, these are the real brown shirts. Frankly, this is why Trump signed the executive order is because this kind of stuff was happening. Well, I mean, insofar as
0: tactics that make people pay attention, what do you think is more effective, this or Chuck Schumer tweeting about how you know the democrats are that they have the real plan
1: for border security <laughs> yeah. and trump wasn't having any of it because he had to build his wall that's right i mean the most frustrating thing is this is not going to last for the rest of their lives like eventually you know trump will no longer be president and these people will be able to go back on tinder
0: that's true I'm, i mean almost all of these people are going to end up at you know with lucrative jobs at Corporate lobbying firms in the ivory tower. They're gonna have book deals I mean no one ever faces any consequences for this stuff, but for fuck's sake humiliate the shit out of them make them feel bad the Narcissistic supply which propels the whole Trump thing needs to be undercut at every single Moment and these people need to feel they need to understand that they are hated by the vast majority of the country They need to be hounded out of public places and made to feel as ashamed as possible and humiliated because of the egregious things they're doing. That needs to be the bare minimum. These people chiding protesters for violating the norms of respectability. I mean, I saw also the Congressional Hispanic Caucus got like chastised by the Democratic mm-hmm. leadership for their breach of decorum
1: and protesting the president. Ugh. I mean, pathetic. Wasn't it? Painful to spend all of 2017 reading op-eds about, you know, has anti-fog gone too far? Unbelievable. You know, yeah, I, uh, I, after a week like this, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But having said that, that applies to everyone in the Trump administration except me, <laughs> <laughs> because um. I'm on your side as the host of Michael and Us. <laughs> AND FAMILY SEPARATION! AND FAMILY SEPARATION! YOU DON'T YOU DON'T even ME! Hi, I'm Heath Eyton. And I guess this all started when I moved up here to Vermont with my wife Sandra. We had a baby boy. His name is Atticus. Here's my mom, there's my dad. There's my mom. And then our neighbor down the road decided he wanted to be president. Former Vermont Governor Howard Dean has been running for the Democratic presidential nomination for a couple of months now, but today he made it official. So I decided to follow Howard Dean. Well, it's the moment we've all been waiting for, the most long-awaited episode in Michael and Us history. No, not the Star Wars episode. We're getting to that in a sec. It's the eagerly anticipated Howard Dean episode. It's, uh, it's been a long time coming, folks, and I just want to say we wouldn't be here
0: today doing the platonic form of Michael and Us, uh, <laughs> episode if it wasn't for a friend of the show, uh, Drew in Virginia. He answered the call when we said we cannot find this film, please help us, and, uh, he succeeded
1: in uh, finding a Vimeo link where we could not. So thanks very much, Drew. This podcast is about many things. It's about uh, politics. It's about film. It's about uh, having a laugh with friends. It's about building our personal brands. But (laughs) ultimately, it's about excavating forgotten and unworthy cultural artifacts (laughs) from 15 years ago. And... Burying them all over again. And boy, did we ever. <laughs> uh, this is a film that goes under several different titles. It's best known under the title Dean and Me, Roadshow of an American Primary. But it's available on Vimeo under the title Lessons from an American Primary.
0: Yeah, it, but between 2008 and 2015, it underwent beta and mm-hmm. uh, came out came out as Lessons from an American Primary.
1: That's right. It was first released in 2008. And then there's an, a somewhat updated version in 2015, although I'm not sure what the updates were. And it's the work of a man named Heath Iden, who uh, lives in uh, New York State, I believe. Front of the show. Yeah. <laughs> Keith, um, uh, if you're or, or, listening and i'm sure you are congratulations buddy you made it <laughs> it might be new york
0: it might be massachusetts i'm not sure new england is like another character in this movie
1: Longtime listeners will know this is ultimately a uh, michael moore podcast and we've seen a lot of documentaries in this long crazy journey we've been on that have aped <laughs> michael moore style this one does it less competently than most but you know we're not really here to beat up on this well-meaning yeah. uh charming, quite enjoyable in some ways, but I think somewhat amateurish film. Yeah. We're here to talk mostly about Howard Dean in the 2004 primary. And, you know, to the film's credit, it does capture
0: a, a bunch of things that I do not think would be captured in sort of a more conventional documentary about the yes. Howard Dean thing, right? The the filmmaker is following around Howard Dean. He kind of start, you know starts his own, like, Dean TV, he calls it, and he just... Kind of follows around Howard Dean at the campaign trail, although mostly that the campaign trail being you know, places in the Northeast that are accessible by car. Yeah, we um, see a lot
1: of shots of him, like his dashboard, driving, listening to Rush Limbaugh. Yeah, yeah. But he's sympathetic to Dean because Dean, I guess... Lives on his street. Lives on his street. <laughs> this is the thesis of the film, so from michael moore he's learned to like make this like first person documentary where it's like a little guy following around a bigger guy and he's interested in howard dean because they live in the same neighborhood ostensibly yeah and howard dean is a famous politician so the film has really no politics as such It's, it's mostly just going around from event to event listening to speech after speech and through this two-year journey he meets many of the kind of major players in the media uh fleetingly
0: yeah and you get the sense that he his own politics I mean even as he's sympathetic to Dean but he is just one of those kind of American political junkies it seems like he wants to meet the whole cast of characters the people on network TV the journalists the politicians uh, he's just kind of into the whole scene which I you know I can identify with from sort of like when i was getting into politics in like 2006 2007 and i liked kind of the whole you know Mm -hmm. like there there were conservative commentators that i like followed because i was like they're part of the bubble yeah. you gotta follow them
1: yeah most people who follow all this stuff kind of fancy themselves insiders in some way and this guy maintains his outsider uh personal brand yeah i mean you say that as if it's a conscious choice and i feel more like he's i I feel like he's like semi self-aware of his outsider status yeah i mean like he there's that funny moment where he like shows the dean tv sticker on the side of his car right but i mean for the most part this movie is constantly, like, on the verge of an epiphany about what elections are, and it never quite gets there.
0: Yeah, so most of the film just consists of him going to kind of uh, community events when the Howard Dean thing was getting going, and, you know, as the campaign gets bigger, the events get a little bigger, and he goes to kind of election parties for the Iowa caucuses and New Hampshire primary, things like that. And there's him talking to sort of minor campaign operatives, um, you know, like, he'll get the you know, deputy director of communications for Howard Dean's campaign in New York State or something like that. He'll get fifteen seconds with them or something, um yeah. where they'll well where they'll, where they'll say it'll be like one of those interviews with a professional athlete between, you know, with like a hockey player between the first and second period where you know they'll be like, um
1: guy has gotta give oh, it hundred and ten percent. Campaign's giving there. it
0: hundred and ten percent, you know, we're, we're the crowds are getting bigger every day. People
1: are the messages resonating. Um, a lot of interviews with just like Vox Populi as they're saying, I've been following politics for years and I've never seen anything like this. You yeah. Know? So it,
0: it captures, I mean, I think what we were interested in capturing was whatever that moment was in two thousand and four, with the whatever the Howard Dean moment was kind of probe that because I think there's a larger story there about, I don't know, I think of it as kind of politics and false consciousness. There's something that's kind of, you know, made to seem exciting briefly, but within, you know, socially acceptable norms, (laughs) you know, and I think of um, when I think of Howard Dean, I also think of Nick Clegg, British listeners to the show will remember the 2010 UK general election where Nick Clegg had that one debate where he had kind of that flourish about Britain being a you know force for good in the world or something and then there was this big surge for the Lib Dems in the polls and of course it came to nothing um, except I mean the Lib Dems actually lost seats in that election Nick Clegg got to be Deputy Prime Minister And, uh, you know, Mr. Hope and Change then sat next to David Cameron for five years gutting the welfare state. So, (laughs) but no, you know, there are these moments, you know, I was, I was, you know, Howard Dean, you know, I I sort of remember it. But, you know, Nick Clegg, that whole thing, I was really taken in by that. I mean, it's only, it's less than a decade ago, right? I was really taken in by that.
1: I'm sure you were taken in by Obama a little bit too. Oh, yeah, Yeah. absolutely.
0: And, you know, there's a parallel with all three because Nick Clegg's party was against the Iraq war. Obama as a state senator was against the Iraq War and Howard Dean in some, you know, in some fashion was against the Iraq War. He was the most against the Iraq War that you could sort of be in the mainstream in 2004.
1: Which basically means, you know, I, sure, I believe in war. Yeah, uh, but we but, need to go through the U.N.
0: Over the past six months, this campaign has shocked the political establishment. We demanded a debate on the wisdom of the war in Iraq. We question the rationale used by this president to lead our country into a preemptive war without the sanction of the United Nations and without support of many of our great allies. And this is the campaign that now asks the president to explain the misleading and faulty intelligence he put before the American people. Yes.
1: Howard Dean's politics aren't really discernible in this movie, are they? I mean, we see a couple of speeches and there's one part where he said, he actually says, We should stop focusing on issues that divide us. Uh, Instead of gay rights, why aren't we talking about health care? I want to talk about the things that we have in common. When they start talking about things like gay rights, I think we ought to talk about health insurance because everybody needs health insurance no matter who they are, or what their family's like. When they start talking about gun rights, I think we ought to talk about education. Because the things that keep us together are the things that Democrats win elections on. They win by dividing us.
0: I mean, that is a pretty remarkable, I feel like that's the sort of thing when, you know, you're seeing these, you know, things like Ann Reed, you know, her kind of pre-woke period mm-hmm. stuff coming out. <laughs> well, what's so striking about those, it, not to do a whole digression on Ann Reed, but what's so striking about those is how they document where liberalism was at on certain social issues, especially in the early 2000s. Have you ever seen that awful, like... um, John Stewart? John Stewart, that really transphobic bit that he did. But, as always in these debates, it's left to the longest shot
1: to say the craziest thing. (laughs) I give you Ohio Representative Dennis Kucinich. Uh, I, I, I would nominate any gay to the Supreme Court... Or lesbian or bisexual or transgendered person
0: to the Supreme Court. Yes, yes.
1: All rise for the Honorable Justice Chick with Dick.
0: This is kind of like that. And here you have the ostensibly kind of progressive candidate, and he's saying, like, gay rights are are, are a distraction, almost. Yeah,
1: they're a special interest. Yeah. Really what we need are the issues that unite all of us. Yeah, the bread and butter stuff. And then, do
0: you remember, he also gets in trouble for... Uh, you know, we we didn't have a chance to investigate this further. We had this line about, like, I'm the candidate for guys with Confederate flags on their truck. Yeah. Which, I guess, to me, what that sounds like is that's, like, a Northern elite's really, like, mistaken <laughs> idea of how to pander to what he thinks, like, Southern yokels are. Because he, he, yeah. thinks, he thinks the South is just people sitting around on, like, you know, the porches of trailers with, like, a blade of grass in their teeth, like, playing the harmonica. Big jug with three X's on it. Yeah, we see a
1: short <laughs> clip of Al i almost said al goldstein <laughs> al sharpton <laughs> freudian slip we, we see a, a i can see how you get them confused yeah absolutely uh kind of loudmouth, <laughs> corpulent new yorkers uh al sharpton like chastising him in a debate and you know watching that clip i was kind of thinking like i'd rather watch the al sharpton documentary oh, be so much better if al sharpton ran today he would do better than he did then
0: absolutely yeah
1: it's kind of hard to believe watching the movie that people sort of earnestly talked about how this was like a grassroots anti-elite campaign Mm -hmm. with this like energy that people had never seen in their lives in politics and most of that I think, just came from the fact that A, he was anti-war, and B, he raised a lot of money on the internet, which was unheard of at the time, right?
0: Yeah, and I mean, it's, you know, he is more charismatic than like John Kerry, but I mean, it's all all relative. Like I was saying during the film, he honestly seems like he has about the level of charisma that maybe a a high school principal who's a little more charming than average would have. You know, he gives Mm -hmm. a speech at the assembly and and the parents are kind of impressed or something.
1: The idea of Al Sharpton running for president he was basically regarded as a protest candidate mm-hmm. mostly because he was black and yeah. the idea that well obviously a black person can't win the presidency there was that whole chris rock movie at the time you remember head of state no i don't remember it, it was,
0: maybe we should watch it
1: maybe we should it was a comedy that was just based entirely on the premise of imagine if a black guy ran for president oh that would be
0: so funny like yeah that kind of thing
1: the idea of somebody who was sufficiently presidential in appearance and affect was i think much more a reality of politics at the time right. and at
0: and I mean, I hate the whole idea of being presidential because it just means it. Well, it's like it means,
1: it means white. It mean and, yeah,
0: it means like it means like you white. You're white and you wear a suit and you mm-hmm. talk, you know, a certain way. I mean, I guess Obama like somewhat disrupted that, but I mean, he was he disrupted it by being more presidential than anyone else. Yeah, in a way he gave <laughs> all the same oratory and stuff, but it was like just much better because yeah. he's just more gift. He has his political gifts in that regard are much better than like a John Kerry or a Mitt Romney or a John McCain or something.
1: So this point, it was in some ways a very enjoyable movie to watch, but it was in some ways a very painful movie to watch because like again, we're confronted with the limits of the political imagination of the time. Everyone on some level knew that the Howard Dean campaign was fake. Yeah, it was this artificial Or that it's not it's just
0: not quite what they're I mean, the way they the way that some of these people, particularly the people at the rallies, talk about it, it's like it's some great insurgent
1: yeah. Thing, and it's just it's just and not. You hear him on stage, and it's just the same old like platitudes. Yeah, and he um, has it's really we're the party of fiscal responsibility. Oh my god! Okay, my favorite not to digress again. But my favorite part of the whole movie was the
0: guy with he's wearing a shirt and it has like a bar graph on mm-hmm. it, and he's pointing at. It, and he's like this here. This is when uh Congress ran budget surpluses when the debt when the <laughs> yes. Democrats were in charge, and whoa! Look at this! Look at the debt running up there with the Republicans, like. That is, I mean, that is incredible to me.
1: And on some level, this artifice is no longer sustainable anymore. Yeah, I guess guess on that level, I'm happier to be living in the reality we're in now than then. Mm -hmm. As you said, the
0: film is always on the verge of some epiphany where you realize that you know this is an artifice, and never quite gets there. But as you as you go kind of dreamlike from one rally to another where he's saying stuff like, it's time to unite rather than divide and yeah. you know, focus Forward's on the things not that backwards. matter. And yeah, all that stuff. You know, I love the gimmicks of the Howard Dean campaign. So I love where he signs a declaration of, of independence for the American people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or uh, when he invokes the Boston Tea Party. Yeah. And he's like, that was the first grassroots campaign, and here we are now in 2004, the and, year of our Lord. And
1: like nobody there really believes it. Everyone knows this just artifice, and mm-hmm. it's just like kind of a shitty piece of performance art. But it's kind of like, well, you know, other people will like it. You know, this will resonate with the voters. That's true, yeah. Why is Mr. Dean's scream more important than his values, Mr. Sheen? Why are you continuing asking me that question? Because I haven't gotten an answer. But why are you asking me? Because I'm you have an opinion, you represent Mr. Dean. I don't represent Mr. Dean. I represent Mr. Sheen. Mr. Dean will be here any minute, and you can ask him yourself. Thank you, sir. Getting back to the, the structure of the film itself and what it says about an election campaign, one of the pleasures of the movie is how at each campaign stop, we keep meeting the same people over and over and over again. There are the same real journalists, quote-unquote, the same independent journalists, the same kind of, like, kooky barnacles on the side of the hall (laughs) yeah a guy who becomes a major supporting character in the film is believe it or not friend of the show tucker carlson (laughs) tucker carlson is the big media guy who becomes the friendliest with our filmmaker it's great i love their rapport toward the start of the campaign tucker carlson is just sort of like bemusedly tolerating him yeah and being like oh yeah uh, good good to see you and then you know after a while it's clear he's starting to get a little bit annoyed but then by the end of the movie tucker carlson is just fully embracing this he's guy like, he's
0: like he's like oh my god you're here like, yeah you're everywhere
1: and i think like on some level if you're if you're going to all these campaign stops after a while you would start to like, you have to
0: make friends
1: yeah and you would start to like oh there's that there's that crazy crazy guy who's just <laughs> following around the campaign. I just asked Martin Sheen five minutes ago why uh, Governor Dean's scream is more important than getting his uh, message out about his values, and Martin Sheen yelled at me. Huh? It's bad
0: when Martin Sheen yells is at you. A, I don't know. I mean, that, I'm a Dean a man, bad, as I know. As you know, question? we've talked about this before. I think in Iowa. Were you in Iowa? Uh, no, no, no. It was in New Hampshire a couple of, like last yeah. month or something. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a Dean guy. He's yeah. a little terrifying to, to voters. Yeah. But I like him.
1: Uh, but, you know, we see another guy who becomes, you know, a more minor supporting character, Sean Hannity, who has just nothing but contempt for the filmmaker. The film is at its nadir
0: when there are these you know, off the cuff interactions in the filmmaker and kind of minor celebrities and media personalities, because the filmmaker is, he's very deferential to them in a way that's embarrassing. But then he also, he like, he tries to get Tucker. He's like, here's my, you know, here's the name of my, can you mention this on air and stuff like that? And Tucker and,
1: Cross is like, Oh no, uh, no they okay. won't,
0: they won't let me, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. The powers that be, or yeah, the Sean
1: Hannity interaction is, is really bad. Or, um, well, Sean Hannity just, has no respect for him whatsoever. Mm. Like, Tucker Carlson is, you know, nice enough to sort of humor him a little bit. But when he sees Sean Hannity at a bar, Hannity just goes, turn the camera off. And then and then later he sees him again at a radio station. He's like, look at this guy over here. You know, this guy who jumped me at a bar. And then and he's
0: like, I'm, I'm sorry for, for that, Mr. Hannity. Like, he's, he's... And like, the look on Hannity's face is just like sheer contempt. One of the worst ones is his interaction with Martin Sheen. Oh, painful. Where, you know, he, he gets... He gets into a fight with Martin what, Sheen. What he... What he What he often does with these people is he'll get one... A lot of these people will actually oblige him. He'll ask a question, and so you you catch Martin Sheen saying something like, um, you know, Welpa, you know, I hope he does well today or something, presumably meaning Howard Dean. And then the guy just won't let it go, you know. He'll
1: follow him a little bit. He follows
0: him, and Martin Sheen turns around and says, why are you asking me? Yeah. Governor Dean's going to be here in a minute. Why don't you ask him? And then the next thing the filmmakers talk, he's, he's tattling on Martin Sheen to Tucker Carlson. And he's yeah. saying like, Martin Sheen yelled at me or whatever. And,
1: and yeah, Tucker Carlson says, oh man, you don't want Martin Sheen to yell at you. <laughs> kind of sums up the bemused attitude that yeah. Tucker Carlson has to now, him. Now the be- the best thing in the
0: movie is when, which is one of these things where, why did he put this in? Oh, I know when, what you're going to say. It's when so he couldn't get into the dnc so you just see a bunch of t- you know believe it or not the Dean and Me guy could not get into the DNC. So we
1: see some clips from the DNC on a bar TV that yeah. he's films. Uh-huh.
0: Cuts to outside the DNC as Hillary Clinton's leaving, with friend of the show, Huma Abedin, as her bodyguard. And I was kinda like, look, Will, it's 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 Huma. And then Hillary Clinton walks past, of course, the filmmaker's trying to talk to her. Huma then walks past, then turns around and very angrily says to the guy,
1: you you watch my camera. You just hit her in the head,
0: sir. You just hit her in the head. I just saw this hit her in the head. What's your name? Go. <laughs> go. She points to like the yeah. the camera equipment.
1: We re- we replayed it, and I don't think he did hit her in the head. I think he like it might have he gra- grazed her. Yeah, he might yeah. he grazed her shoulder. I think. And but if I were in this guy's situation, terrifying. I would be horrified. I would think, am I going to be on a list for the rest of my life? <laughs> this incident testifies to the fact that this
0: film. I mean, the filmmaker is fearless in terms of what he includes. He includes Mm -hmm. a lot of moments that are, I think to me it would be quite personally embarrassing that if i was trying to make a sort of independent documentary about me covering the campaign trail i would not include you know getting yelled at by huma abedin
1: i'm glad he did though i mean oh. it's you know it livens up an otherwise i think are sometimes tedious film yeah. there's another great moment where george stephanopoulos walks past him on the street like holding a coffee and he yells, mr stephanopoulos mr stephanopoulos and then you know he like kind of reluctantly he does that that
0: thing that famous people do where they realize that they're they're caught in the gravitational pull of like a small celestial body i.e a regular person yes and then and then the gravitational pull it doesn't arrest their course but it just makes them turn like one quarter that's right and so he sort of starts walking like sideways away from the guy and the filmmaker says do you think the rest of the candidates would be talking about some of these issues if it wasn't for governor dean and then george Stephanopoulos
1: just goes yes and then he goes <laughs> he off away. and what's amazing is in the end credits he lists like participants in the documentary <laughs> and stephanopoulos is in there hillary clinton is in there it's like
0: that thing that that de souza does where he'll get he'll get five seconds with some you know national review columnist as they come out of a meeting or something yeah.
1: and then he'll just say that they were in the film so the film uh ends as it must Howard Dean comes third in the Iowa caucus, and that is the night of his famous scream. Let's talk about the scream, because it turned out that you hadn't
0: properly seen the footage of it.
1: I mean, I might have seen it back in 2004, but my main familiarity of the scream is just people talking about it in that picture of him holding his arm. Right, We've all seen so many times. Like, you know, how many times in this era would one watch the Howard Dean scream? That's true. And... I think I was surprised at how high pitched it was.
0: <laughs> it's, I mean, it, it is a pretty amazing little bit of footage, but I mean, mm. the film was trying to kind of probe a bit. I mean, I'd never seen the footage of what that looked like not on TV. Apparently Dean was holding like a, he's got a handheld mic and it was kind of a one directional mic, so it didn't pick up really much of the crowd sounds. And apparently in the room, you couldn't hear, it does seem like the room that had genuine energy and Dean yeah. was just kind of riding the energy of the room. And it wasn't as embarrassing, it wasn't really embarrassing at all in the room because you couldn't, you couldn't hear it.
1: Mm -hmm. So we collected some other tapes from the night of Dean's speech. Tapes that do carry the sound of the crowd, not just the microphone Dean held on stage. What about the scream as we all heard it? Well, listen to how it was in the room. The so-called scream couldn't really be heard at all. So, you know, poor Howard Dean, but that was the moment that I guess tanked mm-hmm. his campaign once and for all.
0: Right, and we should talk about this because, you know, even if we're not um, huge Howard Dean partisans, I mean- Speak for I, yourself. <laughs> I, it speaks to, I know you're more of a General Wesley Clark kind of guy. Well, Michael um, Moore endorsed <laughs> General Wesley Clark. Right, that's a where, little known fact. Where Michael Moore leads, I will follow. Yeah. Um, but um, I think it the, the way the media handled the Dean scream does speak to how stage managed these things tend to be which was something that really broke down in 2016 on in both the Democratic and Republican primaries. Because basically, you know, these campaigns, they have a script. You know, what a lot of the people who are Dean fans in the movie are saying, it's it's true when they say, you know, the, the corporate media has a bias against, you know, anyone who's not fully in favor of the status quo. That's true. Mm-hmm. But I think media is also just very deferential to the narrative and the discourse. And like sports commentators who are allowed to comment on things but aren't allowed to kind of pick which team they want to win Mm -hmm. what the media likes to do is they like a compelling story and so in the months before the iowa caucuses the compelling story is "Ooh, it's this outsider who's coming up and he's shaking up the ground or whatever can he sustain his momentum and then as soon as you know he does the scream they smell blood and the blood they smell is another compelling story Mm -hmm. And they're able to basically push a button and be like, well, the Dean campaign has lost credibility. What's the thing we hear Tucker Carlson say about how, you know, he lacks, it showed that he lacked self-discipline or mm-hmm. something like that. And they're saying, well, but if he couldn't survive this level of scrutiny, imagine what he'd be, you know, he'll be up against with a $200 million George Bush presidential campaign and they're whatever.
1: never kind of they're always talking about it from like a remove that's where right. it's like well how will voters perceive that's right. this
0: right right and and the thing is the media big media is so powerful in terms of not just shaping public opinion but shaping the I mean, in a bigger way, shaping the parameters in which public opinion is allowed to be held that I think in many cases between that and the fact that everyone's bombarded with polling all the time, you know, the public never gets to just form an opinion organically, Mm -hmm. you know, the opinions you're allowed to hold are always kind of passed down to you. And so the upstart Howard Dean campaign was a real thing in a big way because it depended on, you know, the media deeming it so. And on the flip side, when the media kind of very superficially and vacuously it was like the Howard Dean thing is now over because he had a lackluster finish in, you know, he said it's sort of a close third in the Iowa caucuses and then made this weird noise into a microphone. That therefore, you know, he's unpresidential and, you know, it's time for the Democrats to embrace reality by getting behind, you know, the pragmatic candidate like John Kerry or Joe Mm -hmm. Lieberman or whatever. And that speaks to how stage managed all this stuff is. And it's not just the campaign events that are artifice. It's the entire way in which they're kind of covered and participated in by the public at large until
1: 2016. It's interesting to see this filmmaker. Sometimes he gets allowed into these like privileged spaces where TV broadcasts are happening, and it's crazy to just see Tucker Carlson hanging out like five feet away from James Carville. Oh yeah, James Carville's a dick to him ten, too. Ten feet away from Al Franken, and it's like they're all they're all just there. The whole
0: goddamn bubble is just is just in the room. Together. That's what bipartisanship really means.
1: You know, we see so many interviews in this movie of like the boys on the bus, just yeah. like random like Newsweek writer and they all talk with this kind of like smug air of i'm so glad the myth of the boys on the bus yeah you know these these yeah these insiders who are kind of above it i'm glad that it's being eroded. Well, we don't need them anymore because yeah. social
0: media sort of eliminates the need for them. I mean, there's that David Foster Wallace essay, which, you know, has not aged well, where he's going around on the John McCain, what was it called? The um, the Straight Talk Express. Jesus Christ, the yeah. Straight Talk Express. What that's chronicling in a big way was, you know, was that campaign 2000. So it was exciting. The, the reporters were just excited that there were these like massive phones that they could actually use from the bus. Mm-hmm. And I think there was some primitive system that allowed them to maybe like file from a road stop or something via fax, or, yeah. you know, and so that whole culture that campaign bus culture I think really lived or died with technology and now fortunately technology is, has put it to bed where it belongs because we don't need those people to be the kind of intermediaries anymore and frankly that's one of the reasons why uh, the media failed in 2016 both on the Democratic and the Republican side. To kind of police the outcomes in quite the same way. The media tried to do with Donald Trump, frankly, what it did with Howard Dean. They D. tried it, I think, half a M- dozen Multiple times, times yeah. right? Like, he would transgress against something, you know, when he when he went after John McCain or whatever, mm. it was like, okay, this is it. This is where the, the downfall begins. And, you know, there was good reason for everybody to think that that was going to happen. You remember 2012, how it was kind of conventional wisdom, like Mitt Romney's going to win. But Mm -hmm. then for like six months, there was a different person that would have a lead in the pool, they'd have one Mm -hmm. debate performance. It was Michelle Bachman, then it was Newt Gingrich or what, you know, and these people would just, you know, Rick Perry, they would rise Mm -hmm. and fall. And then they would, you know, they would do something embarrassing or they'd get one result that was, you know, didn't propel their narrative forward. And then that would be it. And they could just be they could just be switched off. Herman Cain, another mm-hmm. example. Yeah. Um, he did plenty of embarrassing things. <laughs> yeah. um, and the media would just sort of be like, okay, that's it, and the curtain would fall. Mm-hmm. And that didn't happen with Donald Trump, and it didn't happen with Bernie Sanders either. This Until film, it did. But it, it didn't happen as it was supposed to. Yeah. It, it, di- it didn't follow the media script. It mm-hmm. didn't happen because the media said, here's okay, the gap. It's done, yeah. right? And this film kind of gave me flashbacks to early, I guess, 2016, because there's a great kind of little clip from a news broadcast where it's some anchor talking about new hampshire you know uh, one of the whitest states in america with few major cities you know tonight the eyes of the nation are fixed Mm -hmm. on and i thought back to how they tried to turn bernie sanders into howard dean he effectively tied the iowa caucuses to everyone's surprise and then he overwhelmingly won the new hampshire primary and the message was like, okay, well, so, so what? He won this state that's next door to the one that he has been mm-hmm. you know, popular in for decades. And it's this, you know, it's this ultra white state and it's not representative. And it has this, you know, history of kind of being a little bit roguish and how it votes and whatever. The, the message that if you were a Bernie Sanders supporter, the media was, was giving you was kind of like, okay, you've, you guys have had your fun now. Mm. You get you get one of these every election cycle where you know you get to pretend that politics isn't just big money and slimy and endless war and whatever. But now it's time to you know get a grip.
1: They're and, still doing it with him, by the way. There was that Economist that's right op ed a few yeah. weeks ago where it was you know the Bernie Sanders moment has passed. Right,
0: they're doing it. They do it in Britain as well. They Although did, there
1: was just a Newsweek cover story with him where it said the Democrats can't win without Bernie. That's right. Both of which are kind of like. A story well they're you know? yeah they're, they're, I mean they're, they're competing. competing yeah
0: <laughs> and they, they did the same I mean they're doing the same thing in 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 Britain right I mean the way that the meet the mainstream media went after Corbin when he started it started to look like he was actually gonna win the labor leadership in 2015 it was kind of you know okay I mean th- this is not going to happen forget about it then when he did when it was like okay so you've just decided to commit electoral suicide um, mm-hmm. Then, you know, I, I I will never forget the first day of his leadership when, you know, he spent one hour or something at a party that was celebrating this historic win. Then he went to a rally for refugees. Mm-hmm. And on a podcast, a, a sort of mainstream UK politics podcast I listened to, they were complaining that they didn't think he looked prime ministerial because he was wearing the wrong kind of tie at this <laughs> at this rally for refugees, as if that was what was worth focusing on. And then over and over again, you know, every by-election, even if he, like Labour won the by-election, it'd be like, well, that's because of these extenuating circumstances that won't hold in a general election if labor did badly it was like we told you so and now you're getting a lesson and even after the 2017 election i i mean they're still doing it they i don't know if we talked about it on the on the pod but i mean i guess last month or whenever it was um six or eight weeks ago when there were the local elections in britain you know labor won the most seats they held their Gains from the general election. They gained a bunch of councils. They'd never gained before. They won the best results that labor has achieved in London since 1971. And, you know, places like The Economist ran stories like last night was a, a tough night for Labour's hard left leader, mm-hmm. Jeremy Corbyn, which is all to say that as you know, somebody who you know does support these somewhat outsider left-wing politicians and has tended to support them even when it's not you know when you're kind of told that it's unrealistic or stupid even though dean is not an outsider left-wing politician i mean i did feel a certain sympathy for him and his supporters watching this movie because i know how this works (laughs) and it's so it's so disingenuous and the way that the you know boys on the bus culture that you were talking about has been broken down i think by social media Is is really really helpful and it's harder to just tune these people out. I mean when when Donald Trump uh, You know was kind of when 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 he was having his ascendancy at the same time as Bernie Sanders um, I can't remember which night it was when CNN just cut to like an empty podium while bernie was speaking and they didn't even show his speech after after nevada or or i can't remember which one it was the two media reflexes that we see in this howard dean movie are on display there one the fact that the media is biased towards kind of you know orthodoxy and stuff donald trump is still more acceptable to the media than bernie sanders because (laughs) bernie sanders is a socialist on the other hand the fact that the media Ultimately gravitates towards kind of spectacle and compelling narrative. So the don the, what the Donald Trump campaign understood, you know, you know implicitly, I suppose, was that um, you can actually use that to your advantage if you just say fuck the norms and you don't care. Uh, you're just going to get a ton of attention and uh, you'll be able to ride the wave i mean the bernie sanders campaign did prove that you know hopefully you can kind of undercut both of those media reflexes by you know relying on grassroots support and having a savvy social media campaign and stuff like that so um there-
1: unlikely but but okay
0: <laughs> well i'm not gonna listen to somebody that works in the trump administration yeah, okay
1: listen this is the kind of divisive rhetoric <laughs> that's tearing us apart <laughs> Uh, so folks patreon is coming it's coming guys i finally browbeat yeah. well into doing it yeah uh, more details will come but uh, uh, let's just say that if you're looking forward to the star wars episode <laughs> uh, pony up <laughs> because i'm not watching it a second time like four months after i saw it the first time for free <laughs> now watch this drive Mr. is hello good to see you again would any of these other candidates be talking about what they're talking about if it wasn't for howard dean standing up in the first place probably piece of shit and you know that don't cut and cut and cut and cut and cut the budget till you win folks if you like the podcast please rate and review it on itunes we both have families to feed We've been resisting the urge to do one of these little promos because we don't like to be too business-like
0: on air. We like to keep it to Michael Moore-themed irony. But if you could like the podcast, uh, rate it on iTunes, share it with your friends, you'd be doing us a big favor. Now watch this drive.